Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Litecoin Underground Podcast. I'm going to do something uh, maybe a little different, kind of the same. I want to try to do this. I, you know, a couple weeks ago I did a um, a reading of a Charlie Lee article. And it was about uh, eat, called Eating the Bitcoin Cake, which I actually enjoyed doing. It didn't take... Not that, not that being a short episode is the primary goal of mine, but it didn't take a whole lot of time. And it, and I realized it was kind of a nice thing maybe to put out there that, um, you know, there's a million things to read and it's hard to necessarily get all of them in front of you all the time or sit down and take, take a minute to read it. And I find that listening for myself, even listening to people read articles or to kind of, you know, go over some news or something is a lot easier than reading the news yourself sometimes. So uh, I'm going to do maybe a series of these. And if you have some articles that you like that you think are probably uh, worthwhile, um, let me know. Like DM me on Twitter at LTC Underground and let me know which articles you think would be worth reading. So today what we're going to do is read an article more commonly known as just I Pencil. But the actual title is I Pencil My Family Tree. So uh, this became famous because uh, Milton Friedman uh, included one in his television special called Free to Choose, which came out, I think, in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, it was on PBS or something like that. <clears throat> and essentially, the whole thing, if you don't know who Milton Friedman is, he's kind of a, a famous economist, libertarian thinker about freedom of uh, free markets and all that. And um, this was originally written by... Leonard Reed, Leonard E. Reed, his last name is spelled R-E-A-D, in 1958. So some of these references might not be as temporary, although I read it through and it's pretty good. So I'll try to get the get through this um, without stumbling. There's some words in here that I actually, when I was reading it, I wanted to kind of go and check the definition. So I might do that a little bit for you, because uh, I know sometimes when I read things, it's a I think I know what something means, but I don't really. And so it's maybe helpful to have a uh, a little guide. So again, this is called I Pencil My Family Tree. And it's essentially written from the perspective of you are a pencil. The, the writer of the article is a pencil. And he is tracing back his lineage. How, did, how was he created? Or she. I shouldn't uh, specify. This could be a female pencil for all I know. I pencil my family tree as told by Leonard E. Reed. I'm a lead pencil, the ordinary wooden pencil familiar to all boys and girls and adults who can read and write. Writing is both my vocation and my avocation. That's all I do. Now I had now I had to look up the word avocation, and it means hobby. So not only is it my job, but it's my hobby. That's all I do, is what he says. You may wonder why I should write a genealogy. Well, to begin with, my story is interesting. And next, I am a mystery, more so than a tree or a sunset or even a flash of lightning. But sadly, I am taken for granted by those who use me as if I were a mere incident and without background. This supercilious attitude relegates me to the level of the commonplace. This is a species of the grievous air in which mankind cannot too long persist without peril. For the wise G.K. Chesterton observed, we are perishing for want of wonder, not for want of wonders. I, pencil, simple though I may appear to be, 
merit your wonder and awe, a claim I shall attempt to prove. In fact, if you can understand me... No, that's too much to ask of anyone. If you can become aware of the miraculousness which I symbolize, you can help save the freedom mankind is so unhappily losing. Actually, very pertinent for today. This is a sidebar. This is my sidebar voice. Very pertinent even today. Freedom mankind is so unhappily losing. I have a profound lesson to teach, and I can teach this lesson better than can an automobile or an airplane or a mechanical dishwasher because, well, because I am so seemingly simple. Simple? Yet not a single person on the face of this earth knows how to make me. This sounds pretty fantastic, doesn't it? Especially when it is realized that there are about one and a half billion of my kind produced in the United States each year. Pick me up and look me over. What do you see? Not really much to meet the eye. There's some wood, lacquer, the printed labeling, graphite lead, a little bit of metal, and an eraser. Innumerable Antecedents is the next title of the section. I looked up antecedents, and it means basically precursors or ancestors, right? So what are the precursors to my existence, essentially, is what this section is for. Innumerable antecedents. Just as you cannot trace your family tree back very far, so is it impossible for me to name and explain all my antecedents. But I would like to suggest enough of them to impress upon you the richness and complexity of my background. My family tree begins with what is in fact a tree, a cedar of straight grain that grows in Northern California and Oregon. Now contemplate all the saws and trucks and rope and the countless other gear used in harvesting and carting the cedar logs to the railroad siding. Think of all the persons and the numberless skills that went into their fabrication, the mining of the ore, the making of steel and its refinement into saws, axes, motors, the growing of hemp and bringing it through all the stages to heavy and strong rope, the logging camps with their beds and mess halls, the cookery and the raising of all the foods, why untold thousands of people had a hand in every cup of coffee the loggers drink. The logs are shipped to a mill in San Leandro, California. Can you imagine the individuals who make flat cars and rails and railroad engines and who construct and install the communication systems incidental thereto? These lesions are among my antecedents. Consider the millwork in San Leandro. I may be pronouncing that wrong. I apologize. Any residents of that town. The cedar logs are cut into small pencil-length slats, less than one-fourth of an inch in thickness. These are kiln-dried and then tinted for the same reason women put on rouge. They prefer to look pretty, not a pallid white. The slats are waxed and kiln-dried again. How many skills went into the making of the tint and the kilns, into supplying the heat, the light and power, the belts, motors, and all the other things a mill requires? Sweepers in the mill among my ancestors? Yes, and included are the men who poured the concrete for the dam of a Pacific Gas and Electric Company hydro plant, which supplies the mill's power. Don't overlook the ancestors, present and distant, who have a hand in transporting 60 carloads of slats across the nation. Once in the pencil factory, $4 million in machinery and building, all capital accumulated by thrifty and saving parents of mine, 
Each slat is given eight grooves by a complex machine, after which another machine lays lead in every other slat, applies glue, and places another slat atop. A lead sandwich, so to speak. Seven brothers and I are mechanically carved from this wood-clinched sandwich. Now, I want to point something out in this paragraph. Four million dollars in machinery. That's going back to the 1950s. And inflation, that would probably be about $40 million today. My lead itself, it contains no lead at all, is complex. The graphite is mined in Ceylon, which is, again, this article was written in the 50s. I had to look this up. Ceylon is actually Sri Lanka today. Consider these miners and those who make their many tools and the makers of the paper sacks in which the graphite is shipped and those who make the string that ties the sacks and those who put them aboard ships and those who make the ships, even the lighthouse keepers along the way assisted in my birth, and the harbor pilots. The graphite is mixed with clay from Mississippi in which ammonium hydroxide is used in the refining process. Then wetting agents are added such as sulfonated tallow, which are animal fats chemically reacted with sulfuric acid. After passing through numerous machines, the mixture finally appears as endless extrusions, as from a sausage grinder cut to size, dried, and baked for several hours at 1,850 degrees Fahrenheit. To increase their strength and smoothness, the leads are then treated with a hot mixture, which includes candelilowax, candelilowax, I'm not, that was another one I'm not really sure on, from Mexico, paraffin wax, and hydrogenated natural fats. My cedar received six coats of lacquer. Do you know where all the ingredients? Do you know all the ingredients of lacquer? Who would think the growers of castor beans and the refiners of castor oil are a part of it all? They are. Why, even the processes by which the lacquer is made a beautiful yellow involve the skills of more persons than one can enumerate. Observe the labeling. Right on your pencil, the labels. That's a film formed by applying heat to carbon black mixed with resins. How do you make resins, and what, pray tell, is carbon black? My bit of metal, the ferrule, is brass. Think of all the persons who mine zinc and copper and those who have the skills to make shiny sheet brass from these products of nature. Those black rings on my ferrule are black nickel. What is black nickel, and how is it applied? The complete story of why the center of my ferrule has no black nickel on it would take pages to explain. Then there's my crowning glory, inelegantly referred to in the trade as the plug, the part man uses to erase the errors he makes with me. An ingredient called factite, factus, or I looked this one up, factus, F-A-C-T-I-C-E, is what does the erasing. It is a rubber-like product made by reacting rapeseed oil from the Dutch East Indies with sulfur chloride. Rubber, contrary to the common notion, is only for binding purposes. Then, too, there are numerous vulcanizing and accelerating agents. The pumice comes from Italy, and the pigment, which gives the plug its color, is cadmium sulfide. The next section of this is called No One Knows. Does anyone wish to challenge my earlier assertion that no single person on the face of this earth knows how to make me a pencil? Actually, millions of human beings have had a hand in my creation, no one of whom even knows more than a very few of the others. Now you may say I go too far in relating the picker of a coffee berry in far-off Brazil and the fruit food growers elsewhere to my creation, that this is an extreme position. But I still, 
I shall stand by my claim. Sorry, I'm stuttering so much. I shall stand by my claim. There isn't a single person in all these millions, including the president of the pencil company, who contributes more than a tiny, infinitesimal bit of know-how. From the standpoint of know-how, the only difference between the miner of graphite in Sri Lanka and the logger in Oregon is in the type of know-how. Neither the miner nor the logger can be dispensed with any more than can the chemist at the factory or the worker in the oil field, paraffin being a byproduct of petroleum. And here's an astounding fact. Neither the worker in the oil field, nor the chemist, nor the digger of graphite or clay, nor anyone who mans or makes the ships or trains or trucks, nor the one who runs the machine that does the knurling on my bit of metal, nor the president of the company performs his singular task because he wants me. Each one wants me less, perhaps, than does a child in the first grade. Indeed, there are some among this vast multitude who never saw a pencil, nor would they know how to use one. Their motivation is other than me. Perhaps it is something like this. Each of these millions sees that he can thus exchange his tiny know-how for the goods and services he needs or wants. I may or may not be among these items. No mastermind. There is a fact still more astounding. The absence of a mastermind, of anyone dictating or forcibly directing these countless actions which bring me into being. No trace of such a person can be found. Instead, we find the invisible hand at work. This is the mystery to which I earlier referred. Now, of course, he's calling it the invisible hand of the market. So capitalized is invisible hand. It has been said that only God can make a tree. Why do we agree with this? Isn't it because we realize that we ourselves could not make one? Indeed, we can even describe a tree. I'm sorry, excuse me. Indeed, can we even describe a tree? We cannot, except in superficial terms. We can say, for instance, that a certain molecular configuration manifests itself as a tree. But what mind is there among men that could even record, let alone direct, the constant changes in molecules that transpire in the lifespan of a tree? Such a feat is utterly unthinkable. I, pencil, am a complex combination of miracles, a tree, zinc, copper, graphite, and so on. But to these miracles which manifest themselves in nature, an even more extraordinary miracle has been added, the configuration of creative human energies, millions of tiny know-hows, configurating naturally and spontaneously in response to human necessity and desire and in the absence of any human masterminding. Since only God can make a tree, I insist that only God could make me. Man can no more direct these millions of know-hows to bring me into being than he can put molecules together to create a tree. The above is what I meant when writing, If you can become aware of the miraculousness which I symbolize, you can help save the freedom mankind is so unhappily losing. For if one is aware that these know-hows will naturally, yes, automatically arrange themselves into creative and productive patterns in response to human necessity and demand, that is, in the absence of governmental or any other coercive masterminding, then one will possess an absolutely essential ingredient for freedom a faith in free people. Freedom is impossible without this faith. Once government has had a monopoly of a creative activity such, for instance, as the delivery of the mail, most individuals believe that the mail, 
could not be efficiently delivered by men acting freely. And here's the reason. Each one acknowledges that he himself doesn't know how to do all these things to, to deliver the mail. He also recognizes that no other individual could do it. These assumptions are correct. No individual possesses enough know-how to perform a nation's mail delivery any more than any individual possesses enough know-how to make a pencil. Now, in the absence of faith in free people, in the unawareness that millions of tiny know-hows would naturally and miraculously form and cooperate to satisfy this necessity, the individual cannot help but reach the erroneous conclusion that mail can only be delivered by a governmental mastermind. The next section is Testimony Galore. If I, pencil, were the only item that could offer testimony on what men and women can accomplish when free to try, then those with little faith would have a fair case. However, there is testimony galore. It's all about us, and on every hand. Mail delivery is exceedingly simple when compared, for instance, to the making of an automobile, or a calculating machine, or a grain combine, or a milling machine, or to tens of thousands of other things. Delivery? Why, in this area where men have been left free to try, they deliver the human voice around the world in less than one second. They deliver an event visually and in motion to any person's home when it is happening, as it is happening. They deliver 150 passengers from Seattle to Baltimore in less than four hours. They deliver gas from Texas to one's range or furnace in New York at unbelievably low rates and without subsidy. They deliver each four pounds of oil from the Persian Gulf to our eastern seaboard, halfway around the world, for less money than the government charges for delivering a one-ounce letter across the street. The lesson I have to teach is this. Leave all creative energies uninhibited. Merely organize society to act in harmony with this lesson. Let society's legal apparatus remove all obstacles the best it can. Permit these creative know-hows freely to flow. Have faith that free men and women will respond to the invisible hand. This faith will be confirmed. I, pencil, seemingly simple though I am, offer the miracle of my creation as testimony that this is a practical faith, as practical as the sun, the rain, a cedar tree, or the good earth. Hey guys, quick break in the action because I wanted to tell you guys about Cake Wallet. You know they're the official Litecoin underground wallet. What I want to tell you really quick is all the exciting things you can do with Cake Wallet. I've been using it for a long time, and they just keep adding more functionality for people that actually want to hold and spend their cryptocurrency. You know you can swap between cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, Litecoin, Monero, and hundreds of others. You obviously can hold those assets, Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Monero in the wallet. You can buy inside the app if you want to. You can use CakePay, which is a bunch of gift cards. I use them all the time. I use them at AutoZone, Home Depot. I take my family to the movies, I take them to dinner, and I'm always using my Litecoin. It's such an easy way to do it. They have also have a new way of invoicing customers, Trocador app. There's BirdPay, so you can tip people on Twitter. You could even tip me, hypothetically, if you wanted to. You know, just go into CakeWallet, type at LTC Underground, and send, I don't know, 10 cents just for the fun of it to try it out. So download CakeWallet, and I'll let you get back to the show. This is some context that uh, was given to it by Milton Friedman. None of the thousands of persons involved in producing the pencil performed his task because he wanted a pencil. 
Some among them never saw a pencil and would not know what it is for. Each saw his work as a way to get the goods and services he wanted, goods and services we produced in order to get the pencil that we wanted. Every time we go to the store and buy a pencil, we are exchanging a little bit of our services for the infinitesimal amount of services that each of the thousands contributed toward producing the pencil. It is even more astounding that the pencil was ever produced. No one sitting in a central office gave orders to these thousands of people. No military police enforced the orders that were not given. These people lived in many lands, speak many different languages, practice different religions. They may even hate one another. And yet none of these differences prevented them from cooperating to produce a pencil. How did it happen? Adam Smith gave us the answer 200 years ago. All right. I hope that... um, that gives you some reflection on some things. I began to see this stuff when I was um, first working in... I worked in distribution. I worked in packaging, actually. So I, I saw a lot of different factories. And, um, you know, we're very integral. Packaging is part of every company has to put their stuff in something and get it from A to B. And so I got to see a lot of different companies, and they all operated... Um, on some very fundamental basics, like they, they had to understand obviously what their costs were. They thought about labor. They thought about the complexity of any new, any changes. How would they impact the, the people who worked there? How would it impact their customers? What would it look like the package on the shelf? Um, a lot of my packaging wasn't like display packaging. It was literally like just making sure that something got from A to B safely and didn't get scratched or damaged or dented or lost or whatever. But other efficiencies come into play, and all these things are intended to improve the experience of that person's customer. You know, you're very careful to not um, come up, to not make any changes that will make the experience worse for your customer. And you're constantly prying with your customer, saying, "What, what are some things I could do to make it easier on you? How could I make this work better? And only through that questioning and innovation do new ideas arise and produce things that were previously thought kind of unimaginable. Uh, And and when you see this in action happening across all different industries, it's really, it's really inspiring. And the only times that you find that people are not innovating is when there is uh, some sort of legal restriction to them innovating. So, I'll leave it at that. Whether it's a regulation or something the government's putting down, some sort of central planning. Um, I've always liked this a lot, and I hope you guys enjoyed it. Give me some more ideas if you have them. I would, I would love to read some that you guys are maybe new to me and offer me some new insight. And I'll continue to think of ones that I like and pass them on to you. So thanks again for listening, guys. Have a great week, and I'll talk to you later. Bye.